Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. I'm Phil Dark, your host, and with me as as usual now. Like now it's not, I don't even need to say as usual anymore because it is just now the norm. We got Paul Jobson, my co-host. And it's been it's been a little bit since we since we've recorded something, but since we've recorded, also was at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. Unfortunately, Paul, you weren't able to be there. But Paul, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's as usual, except for at the United Soccer Coaches Convention, that was not as usual. So that's true. But yeah, no, it's been good, man. I'm, I missed the convention, literally missed it physically, and just just missed it. It was a, it's always a fun time. So I'm jealous of. The interactions you got to have with everybody there and the fun people you got to meet. But obviously, my kids took priority and I, I spent the uh, the time at a wrestling tournament. So that was fun, too. And we can maybe talk about that another time. But things are going well here, ramping up by the time this broadcast is a broadcast or post. It just it airs, posts? releases, whatever we can, you know, when it comes out on cassette tape. By the time it comes yes. out on cassette yes. tape, we would have been two and already back from Guatemala. So we're ramping up for that. We leave tomorrow morning. To visit our partners down there so looking forward to that and so things are just rolling along man here in 2023 but i'm enjoying the as usual moments on how soccer explains leadership yeah it's a blast it's a blast you know and i i'm i was very bummed that you weren't able to join us but i was able to say hey you're, you're a man that's true to your word and you you retired from coaching so you could be more present with your kiddos and and being able to do that, I was I was glad you were able to do that with with your son, and and I'm sure he loved it as well. I'm sure it was great great family time. It was a so, blast. Blast. Yeah, we will talk about that some other time. We we ha- now have my my new friend. I did meet him at the convention. We got Steve Axtell. You know, he's a coach. He's a father. He's a husband. He does a lot of different things. Um, we're going to talk about that today. And uh, just to hopefully we'll be able to, you know, learn more about leadership, about how we can incorporate different things into into our game. Steve was able to speak at the United Soccer Coaches Convention on leadership and culture because he's been able to develop that in his job at Cortland University. So, Steve, how you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Well, as usual. And I, I keep saying that because it is something that we we do. We do all the time now is, is we get to hear stories and, and it's something that. In our stories are so many lessons, you know, and so we just like to start out each show with our guests just sharing their story. Most people out there don't know who you are. I had the pleasure of having a nice conversation with you at the convention, but can you share that story with uh, with our audience? Just you know, really how you developed your passion for soccer, for coaching, for leadership in your life today. Yeah, certainly. I think that the question is funny all the time when you know tell us your story, and instantly my brain goes to like, well, which one I've got. 20, you know, just depending on what context you're in. But in terms of just passion for soccer, probably a very typical passion for soccer. I had an older brother that played. So at a young age, really looked up to him. I was chasing him around, you know, physically and mentally and all the things that happens with, with the sibling dynamic. And so he was a soccer player. He was a goalkeeper. So it turned out to be, I was a soccer player and a goalkeeper, probably right around like five, six started in rec programs and getting involved. And, And I did a lot of different sports. When I was a kid, I loved being active, but I never really saw my brother play a lot of different sports. We were 10 years apart. So by the time I really, you know, have memories of him, he was probably like picked and choose which ones he really, he really liked. And so I saw him playing soccer all the time. And so that kind of turned into my thing too. We lived out in the middle of nowhere. So our nearest neighbor was like a mile away. So I didn't have like neighborhood kids to play with. So part of 
falling in love with soccer was also just falling in love with the ball, just juggling, kicking it off walls around stumps and trees and things like that. So kind of had just this, like, it was my escape, right? Like, so when there was no friends to play with, or, you know, if it was kind of a boring time, I would go outside and I could do that and that would keep me occupied. So kind of fell in love with it, I guess, in a couple of different ways. So that was really my start in the game. Yeah. And then how'd you get into just really being super passionate about leadership and training others on leadership? Yeah. It's hard to tell like when those exact moments are, I guess, you know, for a long time, I was, I was really just selfish in my development as a player. I just loved the game and I loved playing. So coaching wasn't really on the front of my mind until right around like the start of college when everybody starts asking those questions, like, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? But so I had probably a couple different pathways to falling in love with coaching. So one, just from a a parent standpoint, my mother was a teacher, second grade teacher. So I kind of grew up in that teaching environment, you know, hearing the stories about her classes and what's going well and what's frustrating her and all of that type of stuff. I mean, even when you're not listening, you're listening, right? Like as a kid, your parents. And so definitely that was like a start of the, perhaps like a teaching path, you know, whether it was in soccer or whatever that would be. So I actually started my freshman year in college in childhood ed. So that was going to be my path and just going to kind of follow those footsteps. I always kind of had a knack for, for younger kids and like we were in a small town. And so it was natural that all the younger kids kind of idolized the older kids, you know, certainly in sports and look up to them. So I had coached at a lot of camps, helped at a lot of the, like the rec programs and things back or or things and, and tried to give back. So you know, teaching was kind of natural and that was going to be my path. My father was in the military. And so we, we had a very kind of strict and regimented and routine household, which was also that kind of yin to the yang of my mother. And so those things, you know, I, it, I didn't have a soft approach, I would say, to teaching and all that, which is why I love the game. And then finally, that third piece was probably this a really strong mentor of mine that I remember the day that I learned you could coach full time. Like that could be a job. And instantly like my head exploded and it was like, I opened the world and that kind of really fit who I was, you know, that like drive to be competitive and drive to do what I wanted to do in the game. And then now I kind of had this almost like sense of relief that, okay, when that's done, I can stay in the game and I can have all of these different things and I can be a teacher like I wanted to be. So I would say those three things really is like, that was at the crux of coming up with that coaching passion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and one thing I, I want to go back to real quick and I, you know, this is becoming an as usual question as well, but you talked about playing multiple sports and you know, that's something that today is becoming less and less common. It used to be most people did it almost everybody, you know, when we were kids, what do you think is missing from the kids lives now today, both developing as, as athletes, but also just in, in life, in, 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 in their development as humans from not playing multiple sports and just kind of specializing so early. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I'm kind of right in the middle because I, I do think there's benefits to, you know, like if you look at international kids that aren't playing, you know, I mean, the really top end ones turn out just fine, maybe not well-rounded because I don't know them personally, but you know, what we see from the outside looking in from a soccer side of things turns out fine. And I don't know about injury rates in other countries and things like that. So I don't want to like totally just paint this really broad stroke over it. But in our country, I do think the coaching that kids get at a really young age, you know, I think our best coaches in this country go to the highest levels and work with the oldest players. 
And that's kind of like a trend. Whereas perhaps in other countries, you, they put best coaches with young ages that are still developing and maybe teaching them more movement patterns and things like that. So there's a lot at play here, but certainly, you know, you become more well-rounded, you know, hand-eye develops with foot-eye and all of your coordination and, and movement patterns. So kids miss that, you know, if you're only going to do one thing, you probably get pretty good at one thing, but you know, that's got a pretty distinct set of boundaries on it. I think it doesn't give kids the opportunity to fail in something else. And so, you know, if you're a soccer kid that ends up soccer as your sport and you turn out quite good at it, you've probably always been quite good at it. And, you know, that social dynamic on a team, you've always been towards the top of the team and so on. And, and just so, you know, that that's pretty linear, you know, like that experience is probably the same, you know, if you're the, the top player on a team, that probably looks and feels really similar all across the country, right? Just from a social standpoint. So if you put yourself in a, in a position where you're in sports that you're maybe not as good at, or you're middle of the roster, or maybe even your bottom of the roster, you know, you're a sub, you have to come off the bench. I just think those lessons are great. It, it rounds out your perspective of what athletics is. And so, you know, when you go to your team and you are the top kid, now you know how maybe the bottom of the roster feels and you're a little bit better leader and you treat them a little bit different and you have different connections there because you know, kind of build your empathy right towards like the entire group of kids that you're you're on a team so i definitely think we miss that i mean right now you know we're working on that with our oldest daughter she's 13 you know i think if you asked her she would say she's a soccer kid but right now she's playing volleyball and you know all that comes with that you know she's learning it and there's been kids that have been playing it far longer than her and you know just that struggle of her being a sub, you know, her not starting and just kind of working through the mental stuff with her right now, it's difficult in the moment for her, but my God, I mean, we're thankful that that's happening because when she's 16, 17, 18, you know, goes off to college is in the real world, having that experience and empathy for kind of understanding roster dynamics, it's just going to serve her well. So I think we're missing that, you know, certainly just the dynamic of being good or not as good and having to work harder at certain things in terms of just, you know, exact injury rates and all that. I don't know. You know, I don't know exactly how well we can like pinpoint, you know, which sports we should play and shouldn't play and, and how to exactly do it. But there's also just a, a sense of like play that I think we're missing, you know? And so some of it, you know, we just talk about kids having the opportunity to play multiple sports. I don't know. I feel like when we grew up, you know, I was playing basketball in my friend's driveway and then we were playing roller hockey and then we were throwing a football around. And so I think just the sense of play, you know, uninhibited, unstructured play, I think kids are missing too, because, you know, we tend to just kind of fill their evenings with structured things and, you know, weekends are on the road. Travel has gotten more, you know, so these, the club teams, you know, you're traveling two hours for a game now, which I don't know when I was growing up, it was 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. And so, there's pros and cons, but I, I think we're missing the social piece, the empathy piece of just kind of understanding your teammates more, putting yourself in positions to fail, and then just that sense of play. Yeah, there's so much there. We could go for days and days, but we don't have that. A, yeah, so. it could be a whole topic. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole, there's a whole show on that. But Steve, not to <laughs> not to just rush by it. I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, that just the idea of just getting out and playing. You know, something we deal with 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 our own children is. Hey, I don't need to script your day when it comes to your activities. Just go, go figure something out. You know, there's plenty of stuff to do, figure it out, you know? And I think to your point of team dynamics, I also think that 
you know, you've got your top 1% that they're the best and they're always going to be the best and they're going to play as long as they can play. And, but the reality is for the other 99% of us, at some point, we're not the best as you continue to go up. And I mean, you see it, you, you coach college, there's the kid that's always been the best and they show up on your team and all of a sudden they might be the middle of the pack. If they haven't experienced that, maybe in another sport, they have no idea how to handle that. So your point is, I think, right on with that. Sometimes the other sports playing some things, maybe they're not as good at. They understand those team dynamics, not not only for empathy for players on their team when you're the best. Now you understand. But at some point, maybe you're not the best and you're like, oh, man, okay, I've sat the bench before. It was sixth grade basketball, but I remember what this is like, you know, so. I think those are some important details that come with the, the multi-sport stuff. But, you know, I, I love I love hearing our guest stories. Everyone's is so unique and so different. I love at some point we would compile all everybody's stories and put together end of the year fill of like just the, the, the lead in stories of everybody and what, you know, how everybody got to where they're going. But you know, there's always the path of like how we get where we are. And as you kind of define who you are as a coach, I always also, also like to hear like, what is your why? Like, what is your personal why in life and your purpose? And how are you living that out now? Yeah, great question. So I probably have two distinct whys. And I think sometimes we all try and like make up whys that are just really like gorgeous, you know, when we talk about them. And, and well, we like gorgeous whys, Steve. Gorgeous whys yeah. are great, but the real ones are, are better. So if you got <laughs> yeah, two really good ones, I like some that. real ones is, you know, I, I, I do have an ego. I've under, I've tried to understand my ego more. As I get older, you know, I had that like competitive drive when I was a player that would really boil over at times. And so that's part of maturing is just kind of like really digging in and unpacking who you are and how to deal with that, you know, what you personally need to meditate on and things like that. So I would say that's evolved into just really striving towards excellence in everything, like being ultra competitive, you know, in my program here at Cortland, you know, we talk about winning everything, like absolutely everything. And it's not just games, but it's moments, it's interactions, it's relationships, it's in the classroom. And, you know, I'm trying to get our guys to kind of assign like a one or a zero to all these small moments throughout the day. You know, did you, and as far as like, did you walk past a piece of trash, know that you should pick it up and didn't, right? That's a zero, that's a loss. So I've, I've been able to like kind of be pretty concrete in turning my competitive drive into everything in life and understanding that that competitive drive doesn't have to have an intensity about it all the time, but it has to be really intentional. You have to be present, you know, like, so if you're going to walk by that piece of trash, for instance, for example, you can't be on your phone, right? Because now you're not even seeing it, you know? And so I think I've just been able to really kind of bring everything a little bit more towards that nucleus of winning and competitive, but also that doesn't have to mean intense. It doesn't have to, you know, mean some of those harsher words. It can be empathy, right? It can be, you know, did, did a kid come into my office with a problem and did I listen well enough, right? Instead of just wanting to give them the answers. So, you know, and then, and then when they leave, like really self-examining say, you know what, I, I probably needed to listen more there you know, maybe that's a loss. So that's probably one, striving for excellence, striving to win kind of all the small moments in my day. And then two, I'll just say like that impact, giving that to our players, you know, cause I know when I was their age, there's a lot of things that I do that, that didn't really map towards all of my aspirations, right? Everything was, was really scattered and it was kind of away from the core, you know, some of the things and some things did map, but 
trying to get them to figure out that life is just so interconnected, right? And like your success on the field is really driven by what you do off the field and how mentally clear you are and how clear your conscious is. And, you know, and all these different pieces are actually, you know, part of that recipe for performance. So I'd say that that's definitely another one is just like giving that, you know, and trying to impact players that are in these, you know, moments of life, life altering kind of paths and decisions, big decisions that they need to make, just kind of like putting that positive impact on them, but essentially trying to show them what I've learned 15 years earlier, right? And and maybe saving some kids or helping them connect the dots. So yeah, you know, we 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 love we always love asking that, you know, just to hear what what makes people tick and how you're kind of just what's driving you, you know, and that that helps us. I think it colors a lot of the rest of the conversations and it also helps people understand why you do certain things too. So hopefully your players understand that, know that that's what that's what's driving you and that's that then helps them understand you better, you know, you know, those who know me know that I'm all about trying to understand myself better so that I can understand others better and we can communicate better and, and uh, that, that helps everybody. But one of the other things we want to, want to chat about a little bit is what, what was a defining moment? Like just one of the, one of the key defining moments in your soccer career and why was it so impactful? What did you learn from it? And, and again, how are you using that today as you, as you coach? Yeah. So from a coaching lens, certainly there's probably two really big ones. One of them is, I think I was a U16, U17 player and had gotten kind of more and more opportunities with the regional team, which, you know, back then there wasn't all the MLS Academy. So this was like a big opportunity for me. And this was, you know, something I was striving for and all that. And I, and I actually climbed high enough where I met a coach and you get to be around different coaches. Right. And so that's one of the benefits too. But so I met a coach that like just chewed me up and spit me out mentally player wise. I think I fit mentally. I, it was a disaster. Like I, I couldn't survive in that environment. So it ended up not working out. And so I think that was kind of the moment that I knew I wasn't going to be a pro and there was like a harshness to the game at upper levels because that's the only upper level I had seen. And it came with just this nasty bite to it from a coaching side. So I equated those two things. And so that was kind of like the moment where I'm kind of like, okay, maybe I'm not mentally built for climbing to the very top, you know, regardless of what my physicality is going to do. And so with that came, you know, lack of confidence and kind of questioning a lot of things. But so then I carried that moment into you know, coaching that coaching lesson is like, you know, you have to coach the individual, you know, not who you are, you have to coach how they're going to receive it. Right. And so part of that is I always question, you know, what would have happened at upper levels had I met a coach that was maybe just fit me better. And so then I kind of started really studying coaching when I got into, into the field and understood that there's a lot of different coaches and there's like really empathetic coaches at the top level, right? Like the top level didn't need to come with a harshness, right? Like those two things weren't tied together or married together. So that was pretty neat. Just that whole process of, you know, what I thought it was as a 16, 17 year old, what I learned that it could be, and it didn't have to be that. And then just kind of how I was going to use that to coach on a very individual communicate really individually. And we can get in later, but just like personality testing our players. Like we do a lot of these just kind of like, you know, you had talked about Phil, like understanding yourself to then understand your environment better. 
I mean, we just pour over that type of stuff with our college guys. So that's probably one. Number two is, let's see, probably June. I think it was junior year of, of college. I had knee reconstruction. I did ACL, MCL, PCL, kind of the whole thing. I mean, it was just a mess. So, you know, that was a, an entire year off. So I was on the sideline, the coach at the time, you know, I was fortunate that I was part of a program that, you know, he wanted me around as much as possible, probably for the mental side of things. So I went through the rehab, but I was also on the sideline all the time, helping, you know, set cones, pick up cones and, you know, asking questions to the staff and just seeing the game through a different lens. But then when I was done, I got to go reuse those lessons as a player, which was pretty neat. So it was almost like an atypical path of, I went from playing to coaching, quote unquote, you could call it back to playing again. So that was really neat. That was a, an opportunity for, you know, taking what you're going to learn through a different lens, but then you get to apply it again. So those are probably two really big moments in my coaching journey. Yeah. Let's kind of stay, let's stay in that vein of, you know, you're talking through some of the different coaches that were, were influences on you. Is there, is there one in particular, and you, you mentioned, you know, the impact that maybe, I don't want to say a, a bad coach, but, but one that was a little bit more brutal to you. And another one, maybe that well, had a little bit more empathy to you. Is there, is there one coach though, in your entire career in any part of your career that really stands out as being what you consider to be your best coach and what set that coach apart from the rest and what lessons have you brought into your own coaching? You know, I know I was coached by a lot of different people. I had some bad coaches and I brought some great things into my coaching personality from them. And I had some great coaches that I wanted to get as much as I could from them as well. But I know I've got one that stands out for me. What, what about yourself? I think I've got a bunch for different facets, for different reasons. You know, I, I have a mentor that got me into coaching and, you know, he was one that really like, that's who I needed at 18. Mm -hmm. I was working summer camps and, you know, just to take it more serious and, you know, the level of care that you have to bring to the job, even though it's a really underpaid summer camp position, you know, just that importance of like working with children, right? Like, so that was one, you know, and just like his attention to detail, you know, his mantra all the time was, you know, it's all about the kids. I just, I've probably heard that out of his mouth 10,000 times, you know, not kidding. So that was one, just like the, the, like the, how devoted you have to be to trying to be great for children, right? Like, so that was one, he, he had that to a T. My two goalkeeper coaches when I was a young kid, like when I started in 12, 12 years old, just like the, their inspiration to like want more. So like helping me like really fall in love with the game, you know, not just loving it, but like, this is now an identity and I want to go after that. And so, you know, those two for that, my college coach, he was just, he was a great person, right? So like, if there was a human that you wanted to look up to this, that was him. Right. And so, yeah, I would say that there's probably three or four, like just amazing coaches that I can pull facets of them and say, yeah, th those were big time lessons to be learned. Yeah. What's interesting is we, we ask that question quite a bit. And I think I always come back to the fact that hardly ever does anybody reference the coach that taught them the most about the X's and O's as their biggest influence, even in coaching. When our job you would think is, hey, know the game really, really well, be able to disseminate that information to younger players so that they can be excellent in the craft. That's never usually what a coach says about their greatest influence as a, as a young player or a coach. It's usually those personal things that make them fall in love with the game, make them fall in love with what it means to be a great mentor. Cause I think in some realm, if we're starting to lose the idea that coaching is about mentoring and it's just about 
coaching and it's like here's the x here's the o possess the ball blah 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 no it's 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 the kids come first right and i i love your perspective i love the the nuggets that we pull from all of our coaches but i want the listeners to maybe rewind that and go back and listen again to the things that influenced you the most uh, of great coaches that are making you into a great coach right we just take bits and pieces from the good and bad of our experiences and not once did you say this person just really taught me the x's and o's of the game and that's why you know i I want to be a great coach. And I think that's just a great perspective to, to kind of look at a little bit. I don't know if you've got more to add to that. I'd love to hear no, it. For sure. I think you're totally right. And I actually like, if someone were to ask me what my weakness is as a coach, it's X's and O's. Like it's the tactic. <laughs> I don't value it as much to yeah. be fair. You know, I can't tell you the last time I went and like sought that out from a mentor because on my list of priorities as a coach in my role here, even though we are highly competitive and we're winning all the time, I don't attribute the X's and O's and the whiteboard stuff to winning at all. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think it really matters. I think at the end of the day, it's like a pretty pragmatic approach. Like there's 11 of us and 11 of them, and we have to figure out together how we're going to go do it. So like, we don't have a formation here. We don't have like a style. We have just, you know, figure each game out as it comes together, figure each other out, you know, like more, I guess, of like an environment coach rather than an X's and O's coach for sure. But I would also echo that I truly believe that you can find the negative in everyone, right? Or things that aren't working in their environment. And so, you know, I've got like three or four, like really big time facets that I look up to that I think were great, like positive influences. But I don't, I also don't have this belief that myself or anyone is perfect, right? Like no one is the exact replica of what you should yeah. try to do. And I think, you know, too often we think we're a finished product or, you know, the players want to emulate everything that you do, right? They're either like so enthralled with it, but you're kind of like, you have to figure out you first and then the pieces that you need to try and emulate. And then maybe the pieces that you already have. So yeah, I, I think coaching is a lot of like figuring yourself out, you know, from a, a grand scope and then taking small pieces, right? Like instead of a broad stroke of that's exactly who I want to be and I'm going to emulate everything that they do, take the pieces that you need and then leave the pieces that you don't. And then yeah. you end up being more of yourself, I think, at the end of that process. Yeah, I to totally agree with that. Yeah, and I, I do as well. I mean, it's why we're doing this show, right, is this idea of, you know, most of the training coaches get is the vast, vast majority, not even close as X's and O's. It's the practice plans. It's, you know, the, the field sessions, it's how to do this and where to put the cones and how to do the whatever things. And, and, you know, obviously that's, that's necessary, but I'm, I'm with you where, you know, I go out to a practice and I'm thinking, how can I get the most out of these, these girls in my, in, you know, in my case with the, the high school girls that I'm coaching and, and the people side is, is everything to, to me. And I, I think they perform better. They know that, you know, at, at certain level, at the levels that we're talking about, most of these kids are where they're going to be as, as not where, I mean, they all have obviously improved, but they're, they've, they've heard all the stuff, right? They know it. Are they doing it on their own? All those, that's going to be driven by a lot of other things that, that go outside of the X's and O's. But with that, you know, you, you at the United Soccer Coach Convention, we mentioned this earlier, you had a talk that you kind of brought all of this together that we're talking about and you put together a talk on leadership and culture and you, I think you did a couple talks there, but one was on, on leadership and culture. 
Can you just briefly share, obviously we don't have an hour right now for you to go through the whole presentation and do everything, but can you briefly share on what, what you talked about? And then we just kind of kind of go through it a little bit. Why is it important, what you talked about, why is it important for coaches and teams to, to understand it? Yeah, certainly. So I'll give you the quick spark notes of it. You know, essentially we want to use our culture to help give a really kind of foundation for our mindset which is how we perceive the world. And, you know, you take your mindset and then, you know, something happens and then you decide what that means to you. And then you move back to your mindset in terms of, okay, now there's going to be another action and that process keeps going. But I, th I think if we've got a graphic here with my team that culture also affects mindset. So it's not just presenting situation and what you feel about it, but there's just an underlying the stories that you tell yourself about yourself, right? Like essentially is culture. So that's why we want to use culture to get on, on a pretty ground floor foundational mindset page with everybody and just, you know, what does life mean and what's it going to mean to us and together. We want to use culture to be high performing. So part of high performing is, you know, for us, we're, our, our big pillars are kind of communication and interaction roles responsibilities and expectations. And then I would just say kind of like who you are when you're not in the group matters to us a lot too. And that that's part of our culture is not just who you are as a, you know, Cortland soccer player, but everything that you do throughout the day, right? Those little wins and losses in the small moments are going to add up to really like who we are and how we're perceived, which is then going to change the story we tell ourselves. So we want to try and cement all of those two. The ways that we do it, so the roles, responsibilities, and, and leadership development is we've got kind of four different focuses for each of our classes. So when freshmen come in, it's all about leading yourself. You don't need to worry about leading any other person. You just have to lead yourself. You got to make hard decisions throughout the day, et cetera. We break all of our lives into athletic, academic, and social here at the college, and we can kind of fit all the different decisions into one of those three pillars. We've got expectations for all those three pillars. Sophomore year is all about leading individuals. And so now it is your responsibility to help another person on a one-on-one -on -one basis. You know, some of that is proactive, you know, and just in terms of, of what you're trying to give. Some of it's reactive in terms of picking up on red flags and, you know, maintaining our expectations one-on-one. -on -one. Junior year is leading groups. So we give them kind of real world chances to lead smaller, bigger groups within the team. So for instance, like an example of that would be a junior each month will be the director of community service on our team. And so we'll meet with them before just, to, you know, what are your goals? What are your aspirations? You know, what's important to you? How do you define impact? You know, what do you want to do in the community? Then they go do it for a month. We don't make any phone calls. We are totally hands-off. You know, you're free to fail if you want. And then we meet at the end and just say what went well, what didn't, you know, what would you change? And then we meet with those two players together, you know, the, the one that just did it. And then the next one to say, Hey, do you have any advice? What would you do different? How would you help this person in that role? And then senior year is leading the team. And it's really just kind of like managing our whole pyramid, you know, helping guys with character development and just, you know, being humble. And we call it like foster future leaders, you know, like wanting the young kids to be great. So we have kind of like this saying in our program that like, you just heard like you're free to fail, you know, like there is no safety net below you because I think that goes into accountability and that's a good thing. But we certainly, there's a lot of hands above you you know, if you want to reach up and strive with your life, we want to have a lot of older guys with, you know, hands reaching down, ready to pull you towards better. And those are our seniors. So that's our leadership development. Then we get into that interaction communication. We do personality testing. We do three different ones, Myers-Briggs, True Colors, and the Big Five. I would say the majority of preseason 
when we're not on the field is done with the personality testing and just kind of who's who and learning about each other. I mean, that is like 90% of what we're doing off the field for about a week and a half. And then the last one is our, our character development sheet. So we've got 19 character traits that about seven years ago, the team came up with, with the staff to say, this is what's important to us. Here's what we want to critique each other on. And essentially it's this rubric where you go and you critique all your teammates, you give them a one or a zero, whether they have that trait or not. And we do that four times a year. So each kid, by the time they're done with us, will have 16 of those peer assessments and character traits. The expectation is that your numbers continue to get better, not worse. We've actually cut kids that continue to get worse, which just for us means you're not buying in, right? Like you're not trying to give those positive character traits to your teammates. And so those were kind of like the three pillars of the presentation, leadership, interaction, communication, and then that character development. And then kind of how do we just tie it all together here? So yeah, that, that was the, those are the, not short, but mid-range spark notes. For <laughs> yeah, that was, that was great. I loved, I love how you do that. Now I had the, I had the benefit of being able to go through your presentation and, you know, and, and see it. And, and there's a lot of visuals. I mean, you see the pyramid and just that idea of, of, you know, the different levels of leadership. And, and those are all the things, you know, you've heard, if you, if you listen to this show, you hear about, as we talk about, whether it's coaching the bigger game program and leading yourself, leading the individual, leading the team, those are all critical. And can you speak to that a little bit more as far as the fact that, you know, I always talk to people about, you can't, you know, if you are as a coach, you know, from the coaching perspective, but also from the player perspective, but let's say from the coach perspective, we have a lot of coaches listening. We also have a lot of leaders of, of organizations listening. And what I talk about is if you as a coach are toxic, then your team will be toxic. If you as the, co if the individual, you know, if one, especially one that's very influential, it goes to you cutting players who are continually getting worse. If one is toxic, then the team will very likely be toxic. And, and then obviously, so, but, but we tend to start with the culture of the team, right? Like we as a team, that's usually where we go to when we say we want to teach culture. So first of all, do you agree with that? Secondly, how are you pouring into the individual as you're talking about the freshmen or others too? You know, I can imagine it doesn't just stop as a freshman, but how are you teaching that self-leadership, which I think is so often neglected in our, in our coaching? Yeah, certainly. So a lot of time back there, I think there's like a, a hierarchy of leadership within a group. Not that you have a lesser role, but you have a different role and it's very sequential. They're almost like prereq. So if you can't lead yourself, right, how are you then going to influence one other person in the right direction? Doesn't mean you're not going to have influence, right? I mean, you get some mavericks on the team that just have natural influence for sure. But if we're not catching them in terms of the direction that they're going first, and now they're leading actually in the wrong way. And so then your culture just kind of self-implodes. And I think there's a guy, Jordan Peterson, you know, has a podcast in, in, psychology type of stuff. And, and I like one of the things that I like from him is just that, like, you know, clean your room, you know, and like, how are you going to affect change in the world if you can't keep your room clean type of thing, you know, and, and it, not that my room is spotless all the time, but just talk about just that, you know, take care of yourself first, right? Figure yourself out before you then just try and branch out and don't get ahead of yourself. So that's kind of like at the crux of, you know, just that hierarchy of leadership, but we tell them that like, you're all leaders, right? On our team. And we want you to feel like you're leading. We want you to feel like you're having an impact. As a freshman, you have to have an impact on yourself, right? Sophomores, you have to impact on one person. So I think it also doesn't make 
leading the team this daunting task when you get there, right? Of like, oh my God, I've done nothing and now I'm being asked to do everything. So it's really sequential in the amount of responsibility that you have towards the group, right? You start with, you know, pretty much none. You start with yourself, you get a little bit. Now we get to give you some opportunities to lead a little bit larger groups and what works and what doesn't work. And then that doesn't seem like a daunting task. And I actually created that in 2012 when I took over, I was really young. And so I'd have a lot of talks with coaches of, you know, how do you run your program? And, and you know, just trying to soak all that up. And once in a while I would hear coaches, you know, oh, I just don't have great senior leadership this year. I don't have great captains this year. It never made sense to me because my devil's advocate brain always went to like, well, you've had them for three years. Why not? Like, you know, what have you not done? And so I wanted to make sure that I was never in that position, you know, because if that's the way that my mind is going to work, then let's create a system where we, I don't ever have to say that, right? Like I'm proud of all of our seniors, no matter, you know, if they get there, man, I mean, that's a, that's an achievement in and of itself. So yeah. I've, and I forget, remind me that there was a part two to this, but that's, I think the sequential hierarchy of it and why it works. Part two of the question you mean? Yeah, there was a two part and I forget what it was. It was basically how, you know, why it's important for the players, self-leadership, and then just the toxicity of teams that happens if we're not able to lead ourselves. And then, but then the teams tend to start with the, the culture, team culture, and they ignore that individual leadership side. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah. So that, I think that just goes to like, you know, you're going to end up with kids that are leading in the wrong direction if you just start with the big picture. You know, it's why when I took over, I actually had to cut like four or five players that were teammates of mine, friends of mine, because they just, they weren't what the team needed. And, you know, if I just bowed down to kind of, well, we'll just let them kind of graduate through the program. Well, then I would have had 18 year old eyes on them thinking, okay, this is how things go here. And this is the right answer. And then four years later, they would have been the seniors doing the same thing. So, yeah. you know, I think that's why turning a program around is, is a hard thing to do. You know, I think you've got to let go of the ones that are intentionally pulling the rope in different directions. You know, I mean, I think, you know, when we took over, when I took over here, it was like, you know, look, you're welcome to stay. We would love to have you stay, but here's the rope. Here's the direction. Your hand is on it and you're pulling. And, you know, there's not going to be a moment when your hand is off this rope pulling in a different direction. You know, this is where we want to go and this is what we're going to do. If your hand comes off the rope, you know, See you later. Rope's still moving. You know, we'll leave you behind. So I think that accountability piece towards your culture and that intentionality, it's not, it's never a finished product. I mean, you're just always working on it. You're always trying to make it better just to maintain it, you know, because if you turn your eyes for a second, you know, it's a, it's a whole different world. You know, if you're all, if you're not expecting, if you're not inspecting and holding kids accountable for your expectations, you know, it'll go, it'll go sideways pretty quick. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, I, I remember about 109 episodes ago, there was a guy that looks a lot like Paul Jobson that I interviewed about culture. And I remember Paul said in that interview that he basically created the culture so that as it goes and goes and goes and grows and, and they become, it becomes part of just who they are, that it becomes self-enforcing as well that the players are the ones who are enforcing it. Not, you know, the coaches can just not just sit back and do nothing, but can just be there to, you know, make sure that nothing goes sideways. But for the most part, the players are doing it. Is, have you found that as well? Yeah, that is tough though, because, you know, I think as the world changes for them, you know, they're on their phones more, 
which means they're communicating but not connecting as much. You know, the they're not really not good at hard conversations face to face. You know, things that need to be said that they don't want to because they're fear it's going to ruin a relationship or, you know, just whatever that face to face interaction is going to be. So, yes, it's definitely able to be a sustaining model, but you have to make sure that you're continuing to keep up with your kids about the actions and daily habits that allow it to be continual. Right. And so not changing our expectations, not, you know, it's, it's never an overhaul, but it's, you know, Hey, here's the daily habits that are going to help us maintain it, you know, and it is calling out a teammate when they're not living up to what, you know, we stand for and things like that is, and that's face to face. It's not via text message. It's not behind their Mm -hmm. back. You know, I mean, that's more damaging, but right you know, being that, that front facing, you know, Hey, I care about you so much that I'm going to tell you, you're not doing well. Right. And this isn't good enough. That's a level of care, but they don't get that. They don't understand that until someone's driving that point home for four years straight. So yes, it definitely can be self-sustaining. We found that that it's easier in the past, maybe four years now that I'm 10, 11 years in, but it's definitely something that we have to keep, you know, hammering those harder habits, you know, and, and, not letting them just be comfortable in how they want to interact with each other. Right. Yeah. Well, Steve, you even hit it on the head when you said inspecting, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think as you're, as you're changing a culture, I mean, there's things that you'll do or not do based on the culture that you're trying to set. And it's as you've set it and it kind of is self-propelling a little bit, you have to inspect because as culture changes and as personalities within a team change, the dynamics change constantly. I mean, you're always players in, players out. So things are constantly changing. So I, I agree the inspection piece. We always said, you know, we want to get to the point where we just have, we've got guardrails and we're there to make sure that kids stay on that road. They've got a road ahead of them. We've, we've It's paved, it's ready to go, but we've got to keep those guardrails up and make sure that we're, you use the word inspecting. I kind of think that's the same. Like, hey, we got to keep our, our, our finger on it to make sure that we're not losing sight. And one thing you mentioned earlier, you said with the the points that you put together with your team, it was six or seven years ago, you guys came up with things that were important to your your culture and to your team. Over those six, seven years, have any of those things changed as, as, as cultures have changed, so to speak, or have you had to put more heavier emphasis on certain things as, you know, phones have become more, more prominent as, you know, people not interacting face-to-face as much. How has that piece of that changed for you? The words that we use have not changed and I haven't had any, any reason to change them. I think those have been consistent and pretty rock solid and they're, they're not all in one category. There's a lot of different words there. So, yeah. And just like character. I've seen it. I like I like the list by the way. I've seen it. It's it's good. It's a variety of words, but what happens is each year and each different group they'll have. So when we rank order the kids, we also rank order the character traits, right? And so what's our team's worst character trait? What's our best character trait, right? So we can do that with the spreadsheet too. You know, our best and worst character traits as a team, those change, mm-hmm. certainly, you know, and then that gives us a really good idea, an inside look from a staff perspective of maybe things that we need to work a little bit harder on to try and like help them, you know, give them tools, you know, like in the last couple of years since COVID actually, like the confidence level, interesting enough, has gone through the roof of like, they're just not good at confidence, right? And those, that's like self- inflicted you know they're they're talking about that they're you know identifying teammates that are not confident so that's been our team's highest character trait flaw for the last two years which is interesting to note i don't have enough data and time to exactly pinpoint a why that is but it is and so it's a great little 
inside look from a staff, they're like, okay, well, if that's our weakest trait. Let's help them with that. You know, mm-hmm. let's teach them more about confidence. Let's teach them how you get confidence. Right. And, and some of them don't even know what it is. Some of them think it's this outward projection of yourself, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and so teaching them, you know, maybe you just need more repetition. Maybe you need more time spent. You know, maybe you think you should be confident, right. In this environment when reality you're just learning and it's part of the process. You know, maybe you're having some down days and you think that now your confidence is hit. Maybe that's normal, right? Maybe it's just right. all part of the process. Maybe you could just give yourself a little bit more grace and not act as if you're not confident, right? Because maybe those two things aren't linked. So anyways, yeah, it gives us a good look into who our team is and what we need to adjust. But the words themselves, no, those are pretty rock, rock steady. Yeah, that's good. And I think sometimes over time, you kind of mentioned a little bit, people as they're coming through their definition of those words might change slightly. And you're probably having to redefine what those things are. And we talked a lot about with our group that your know, confidence is a tough thing to sometimes determine, right? I mean, kind of, as you were kind of mentioning, and we just say, you know, sometimes you just need to be determined, you know, and build kind of, you said repetition of things and whatnot, but I love, I love those insights. I would, I would encourage folks to, to get in and reach out to you to, to learn more about those things. I know as a, as a former coach, those were things that were just, classical, great nuggets to have and learn from. And then even you said, there's so many different things out there. Like we were saying about mentors and coaches, you want to pull as much as you can from different people to figure out what fits best into the culture you're trying to build and, and, and establish for sure. And, you know, as we kind of, we're kind of getting to the end, all these conversations can go on for hours and hours and hours and Phil, I think every time we're like, man, let's do a part two and a part three with different guests. Uh, Steve is one to maybe get on the list again, for sure, to dive deeper. But as we kind of wrap up, Steve, and, and kind of go into the, the the bottom of this, we ask very similar questions. But as, as you've gone through through life and through soccer and through coaching, what are the lessons that you've learned directly? And we talk about family, that what are the lessons you've le- learned through the sport that you put directly into like your family, your marriage, raising kids? You mentioned you have a at least a 13-year-old daughter, maybe a couple other kids, how do the life lessons of, of soccer fit into your, your family life? Yeah, certainly. And our two others, they're five and 10, three daughters. So, and my, and interesting enough, my wife is the women's soccer coach here at our school. So we actually have two coaches that are parenting together, which is interesting. And I'd and say try being on the, try being on the exact same staff for, for a number of years. That's what we did. <laughs> I, I love, I love, I love the, I love the family dynamic. It's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. What's interesting. So, you know, we're, we're so wrapped up in it that it's hard to compartmentalize the difference between life and soccer. Right. I just think it's just life is life and this is what we do. And so our kids can't get away from it. Right. We can't get away from it. And so it's all kind of interconnected. I've become, yeah, I'm, I'm the mentor that I had when I was working at a summer camp really helped me understand the importance of small moments with children. Right. And like how easily you can break mindsets and confidence and their own self-identities, right? And, and how quickly you can change those and be inspirational. So trying to be intentional in, you know, building confidence in our girls and our daughters, you know, giving them words that, you know, don't have to do with talent, but with hardworking and self-confidence and a lot of that type of stuff. So that way they have growth mindsets. And like, you know, a lot of like the coaching literature with young kids is just, I mean, that is parenting too. And so definitely that you know, trying to become a a great parent by not um, being a bad coach. Right. And like, I remember having sessions as a young coach where I'm like, man, if I could do that again, I would, because that sucked. Right. Like they deserve better, (laughs) you know, just taking that and like analyzing life in the same way of like, you know, I should have listened more. I should have whatever. So 
certainly taking that into the parenting parenting realm. My wife and I are are kind of polar opposites in terms of personality. I'm super high energy and upbeat and just takes a lot to slow me down. And so, but just like on a team, you know, you've got multiple things at play. And so when I'm trying to put our team together, it's trying to show them the best parts of themselves, right? And like how that helps our group, right? And like everyone has a role and like our team wouldn't be the same without you, right? And like, and here's why you've got so many great facets and here's what you give to the team. My wife and I are no different. You know, her strengths are my weaknesses and I'd say my strengths are probably her weaknesses too. And so just like knowing that from a coaching lens that we just bring that into our household and like, you know, there's sometimes when I am really tired on a long day, you know, I am stressed out but I'm kind of the energy one of the house. And like, so I've got to give that to the house, right? Like that's, that's my superpower, right? As a dad is maybe like some of the energy and, and all of that and upbeat culture that we bring to the house. But then when that boils over, my wife is the one that kind of calms everyone back down and keeps us, it's that yin to the yang. And so, but I do think like treating your family like a team, you know, everyone has their special traits that they bring and they really have to try and bring those all the time. Then you know, everybody also has a dark side to them, right? That the, you know, inner toxic that like you hopefully learn and mature out of, but like it's still in there, right? Like I'm a firm believer that, you know, good and evil runs right through the middle of everyone, you know, and it's about learning yourself and like not putting certain things into the team at certain times. So treating our family as a team, I think that's been, you know, the number one thing is, you know, sometimes we're leaders and sometimes, you know, we're the coach of our kids, but sometimes we're all five of us are on the same team and, you know, how we interact and letting our kids lead and letting them kind of have star of the show moments and all that. So yeah, it's all interconnected for sure. As it was once said, football is life, right? So it's uh, it's evident, evident in, in, of course, all of our families, and I'm sure many of our listeners, it's the same. And I, I like that you kind of led with like, well, it's kind of all inner, intertwined. I, I fully agree with that. And I think the more people kind of dive into it, they realize that it really is, you know, it really is intertwined and in how we, you know, how we are at work and personalities and all that, it, it does overlap. We talk a lot in our family about team jobs and, you know, and I love, I love how you said allowing our kids to lead at times. Like, I think that's important, you know, kind of the example you gave with your team of there's not a safety net, but there's plenty of hands above you to that you can reach up to. And I think as parents, we're that for our children, Hey, you're going to lead this. You have the influence in this moment go fail fail now or succeed we're here either way but we're up here for you not down below you you know waiting to catch you when you when you fall you know so i just intertwined your entire interview together right there in that moment (laughs) Um, but i love it i love it i love it yeah and and especially with like the the sibling birth order dynamic right so like our youngest (laughs) you got to give her times to make decisions for everybody and then you got to get the two oldest ones is like look it's not your time you know like you're in the backseat right now just because you're oldest doesn't mean you get to drive everything here. So yeah, definitely like same thing with teams, right? Like you just, you want everybody to feel special in their own way. You want them to feel like they're contributing. You know, you don't want just this like hierarchy of influence where it's just kind of like my role is to just sit down and shut up for a couple of years. And like, I don't really have a big role here. Like all those types of things that you want to try and squash in your team. It's the same with the family, you know, and just knowing that, you know, you have to have a partner that is a total teammate. Right. And so, um, you know, one of my biggest things with my team is that hard conversations thing, right? And like that one-on-one face-to-face, when you screw up, you need a teammate that cares about you so much that's going to tell you, my wife is that to a T, you know, and, and not in like a, 
a joking around male, female, oh, my wife is always on me type of thing, but like, like true actual moments of my life, or even like, you know, things that I said in a game or th- like, just, she's like, you really screwed that one up. Like, like mm-hmm. she's just brutally honest, but it's good because I always know she's right. Yep. You know, like it's yeah. never coming from a, a place of non-love. It's coming from a place that like, she just cares so much that like, and has that belief in me. That's like, you have to hold each other accountable. And so finding yourself a teammate that can hold you accountable when you do slip a little bit. I mean, that is just big time. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I've never met your wife, but I met Marcy and, and I know my wife and you know, I, I just think that we all have that and it's very fortunate, very blessed in that, in that regard, because, you know, we talk about team, we have team meetings and we talk about our, you know, our team as well. And what's cool is I'm kind of a little bit ahead of you guys as far as the kids and to see that when they grasp that and when they really understand it. And now my oldest is, is on a, a youth with a mission trip. She's in Nepal. She's trekking Nepal, doing some ministry stuff over there. And, and to see how the younger siblings are part of her, like I just, they're with her. And we're getting pictures. We're doing FaceTime calls. My son, at, you know, is at college. And, and to see how they're interacting and to see how the older ones are leading the younger and the younger are, are pushing and encouraging and, and loving. And what does that look like? And, and it's, it's not perfect. It's messy. It's really messy like any team. But to see that and to take these lessons, you know, of, of resilience, of overcoming adversity, of, of being able to pour into each other, to do the disc training that we do, you know, you talk about colors and all this, like be able to do that with our family. It's, it's not perfect analogies, but it's something that if, if we're taking our, the things we're doing with our family to our coaching and vice versa, it'll make everything better. And, and you talk about, I was laughing to myself when you're talking about your, your wife being brutally honest with you. I, I dissimilar in, in my wife and I, and I love it. Like you said, she, she knows me almost as well as, and probably better than I know myself. And in a lot of times, cause sometimes I'm delusional and uh, you know, before setting out a post on social media, as simple as seeing me trivial as that, she's like, mm. That's what you're writing, but what you're actually saying to them is this, and that's what they're hearing and receiving, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I never even thought about it. You know, so it's so, so important for us to have that humility, too, and, and to have people that, that love us enough to tell us the things that are the really hard things to hear. So, love that, love that. All right, man, well, you know, all good things have to come to an end, so what, what uh, the last question we have, what have you watched, read, or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on, on how soccer explains life and leadership? Ooh, really good. Okay, a couple different facets. Again, from a book standpoint, I love the book Anti-Fragile, and it's a book, it's a heavy read, so don't get into it if you're trying to crush it in a week. Really heavy read. I had to go through, like, three pages and then read those three pages again. But it's about this notion that we we don't have a word for anti-fragile, right? We have a word for fragile, it breaks under stress. We have a word for resilient, you know, resilience is it stays the same under stress, but we don't actually have a word in common language about we get stronger when we have stress. And it's the same notion of weightlifting, right? Like you, you put more weight on, right? And that's a stress to your body. And then your body adapts and eventually that becomes easier and you, you know, you get to that level and there's plateaus of that, but, you know, certainly adding stress is not a bad thing. So I think in modern day, I think the word stress has a really negative connotation. I don't think it should. I think it's probably one of the reasons why we don't deal with stress well now, 
and it, you know, people have this mental story about stress that they shouldn't have stress. So that's my number one. You know, it's just about like stress is good. Stress is really good. There can be too much stress, you know, you can break, but stress in the right environments and the right dosage is, I mean, it's just necessary, right? I mean, that is life and getting stronger under stress, like just knowing that, and that's part of growth mindset is that I can handle this. And actually this moment's going to make me stronger and it's going to suck right now. You know, just like running, you know, long races or lift, you know, whatever task you're to do, those are stresses and they're going to callous your mind and callous your body and, and all these different things. And so they're going to make you stronger. So that's my number one book. It's called anti-fragile that I tell my team about it all the time. That's like kind of one of the things that we talk about all the time. It's anti-fragile in terms of other, like maybe podcasts or like little sound bites. I really love Jocko Willink. I, I just think a lot of his like discipline type stuff is great. I also think the world needs a lot of discipline right now. I grew up in a disciplined house. So I really like, I, I, I look at that as kind of like a North star, you know, I, I, like what my father brought to my life picture was just incredible from like a discipline and structure standpoint. And I think we, we get a, we're in a world where we make a lot of, everybody makes a lot of emotional decisions and everything is meant to feel good. And it's, you know, it's gone really soft, but the discipline of life, you know, it's not always going to feel good. It's not always going to be great, right? You're not always going to have motivation, but here's the things that you need to do and should do regardless of how you're feeling. I think is also a powerful message. So some of his podcasts, some of his like little sound bites, his books that he has are incredible. Those would be my two that if I were going to give to people anti-fragile and then, you know, a lot of the stuff that Jocko's putting out. Yeah. Nah, it's great. Awesome. I, I appreciate his stuff as well. All right. Well, Hey, thanks Steve. Appreciate you. Appreciate you being a part of the conversation and uh, just keep, keep doing it, man. Keep, keep at it and keep encouraging and, and raising up the, the next leaders. So appreciate you. Thank you guys. Yeah. And I, I listen to you guys like on repeat now in my drive to and from work. So thank nice. you guys for having all different types of people on because I'm probably learning 10 times more than I'm giving. So thank you guys. Wow. I appreciate oh, that. I appreciate, appreciate that. Yeah. We are too. We're learning. We're learning definitely way more than we're giving on this too. And that's the selfish piece of doing the, the podcast, right? Phil is the, what 100%. we're getting out of this. I almost, almost feel bad how much we're, I'm getting out of this, but I love it. And I appreciate the things you have to say, Steve, for sure. Yeah, it seems great. like we're getting master classes all the time and just from these great <laughs> leaders doing great things and, and very, very grateful that uh, we get to interview guys like you. So thanks a lot, man. Thank you. All, all right, folks. Well, thanks again for being a part of the conversation. Thank you for just you know taking the time to listen because it means that you're learning as well. You get to learn from these great people as well and hopefully you're taking taking it and using it in your life and and you know on that note we have you know continually you can go check out Warrior Way Soccer and what Paul and Marcy are doing there as he said he's going down to Guatemala to continue the partnership there and then to, to grow those relationships. So check that out, warriorwaysoccer.com. Coaching the bigger game, we've been talking about it. We actually met with a few people at the convention and we're gonna be kicking off a cohort in the next month or so. So if you're interested in that, go to Coaching the Bigger Game. You can sign up there and you'll get a demo and then we'll reach out to you and uh, hopefully you can you can join in on that in the next month or so. And uh, you know, if you're interested in disc training, I was able to speak on that at the convention too and uh, reach out to me there. My email is in the show notes. All of this information, including the book and we'll get uh, Jocko's podcast as well on there. So you can go there and just click on those links. Just keep it simple for you. And as always, hope that you're taking what you're learning from this show and you're using it to be a better 
parent, a better spouse, a better friend, a better leader in all that you do. And you continually remind yourself that soccer does explain life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple weeks.